The Distraction, hosted by former Deadspin writers Drew McGarry and David Roth, is a new sports podcast coming from Defector and Stitcher. Join the guys and their guests as they break down the week in sports while addressing their fair share of off-the-field issues. Whether it's discussing NBA players getting testy in the bubble, Bill Belichick cutting 80% of his roster just to keep himself interested, or horrifying takes from sports talk radio that need to be broken down, Drew and Roth are ready to serve you some hot sports action. But do stick around for a few extra distractions. You deserve them. Listen and subscribe to The Distraction, a Defector podcast, right now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Maybe I'm crazy, but there are a lot of lawmakers that should be listening to this podcast this week. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Welcome to the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. I'm Joy Taylor. We're joined this week by Greg Jennings, who is a resident of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he has a lot of thoughts about everything that's going on right now. Drew Brees, Roger Goodell, and how to make some real change moving forward. Uh, hope you guys are doing well. Thanks again for joining us. Um, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We love you. If you're here every week, we love you too. Hope you guys are taking care of yourselves. So we'll get started with Greg Jennings. Of course, we have the whole crew, Heller, Donnie, and T. But let's get going with our FS1 analyst, Greg Jennings. All right. Very happy to have Greg Jennings on the podcast. Uh, Greg, you are in Minneapolis, if I am correct, right? Yes. Even though you I'm have I'm in Minneapolis. You got a bunch of Packer stuff behind you, so you may be confused. <laughs> that he is in Green Bay. But you live in Minneapolis, so you've you've been not only in the in the middle, in the center of everything that's been happening, but also your your family is there with you and your wife is a small business owner in Minneapolis as well, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh We've been in the thick of it, in the center of it, um, around it, and supporting it all. So how are you guys uh, mentally and emotionally? I mean, we were talking before we started, this is a reality every day, regardless of whether this is national news or not. But obviously, like I said, you guys are in the center of you know the, the attention of the whole universe, being that that's where... Greg Floyd was murdered and there are protests and it's gotten very intense there. So how are you guys doing? You know, we're doing good. Uh, taking each day, uh, one day at a time. And I know that sounds cliche, but that is, that is the reality. Every day kind of brings about a different, um, level of emotion, uh, pending on what triggers you, what you see in social, what's going on in the world around you, what's going on down at downtown um, here locally, and just what you hear and, and the responses of people reacting to what's going on around our nation. Uh, it, it's truly one of those deals that is day by day. So a lot of the reactions to what's happening that I'm getting and it's I, I won't say that it's most but it is it is enough that it's disturbing is that you know the the protests are happening and along with protests generally comes some violence um, mm -hmm. and some looting and as I mentioned your your wife's a small business owner in, in Minneapolis to me it, it's a redirect to constantly talk about the rioting and the looting or to bring that up first before mentioning that you support the protests and that you understand what's happening. But you are somebody who could be directly affected by that rooting and looting and rioting. So how do you feel about just the reaction to that and just that conversation as a whole? You know, it's, it's a culmination of feelings. Um, but ultimately, my wife and I, we support it. 100% do we condone it all? No, but we truly understand why. Like people are tired. The black community is tired of being overlooked, unheard, and they are showcasing their emotion, their hurt, their pain, their frustration in ways that uh, is misunderstood at times because one who hasn't gone through the oppression, uh, the adversities that they have gone through as the black community. And I say they, I'm, I'm included in that. That's, that's how I grew up. 
Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it's, I was talking to an individual yesterday and as an outsider, you really just have to listen. You can't really, it's, it's nothing you can really say unless you're trying to resolve the issue, unless you're putting, um, kind of your, your action behind your words of how can I help? And you start helping anytime you hear in the media, when they come out first and say the looting and the rioting and the, all of these things that, that play to the heartstrings of those who are completely against the looting and the rioting. It's what you said. It's shifting and redirecting what is really the causation of it all. And that is the police brutality, the social injustices that we as a people have endured for hundreds of years. And whatever that looks like for for us as individuals, it comes in different fa- different styles, different forms, different ways. It's presented to us all differently. But we all have a story. We all have our experience in some fashion. And I think if we really look beyond the destruction of what it's taking place and what has happened and look at why things are being destructed, it was the destruction was happening far before, far beyond and far prior to what we're seeing as a manifestation of actual buildings being burned and damaged and, and looted. The destruction was already happening. It just was happening in a way that was masked and protected and overlooked. So I've, I've been tossing around, uh, you know, we're all thinking, right, of solutions and ways to, to move forward or ways to educate. And I think, and, and this is not, not every or all, obviously, but I do think that there is a significant part of the American population who their only interaction with the black community is athletes or stars or you know maybe somebody in their office but they don't have personal relationships with people in the black community so when they hear things like this they think that well you know it's greg jennings he's a superstar athlete he's got a super bowl he's got money you know he's just carrying on a narrative or doing what's popular he doesn't really relate to what's actually happening and there's layers to to what i just said i know you understand what i'm saying but (laughs) when you were on the show with us uh, i think it was last week or the week before you were talking about going down to the the protest with your daughters and i'm not gonna lie i almost cried when you were talking about how you had to talk to your daughters about, you know, how people might be afraid of you and, and, and what that all means. And I think those conversations are conversations that white families don't have to have with their kids because it's just so far removed from their reality. So how do you, how do you communicate like how much this affects you? Like the, the, the fact that you're an athlete because I'm getting that, like, oh, like this isn't part of your reality. Like how, first of all, you don't know me. <laughs> so you don't know anything mm-hmm. about what I've experienced, but, and nor do you have to be a part of something to be empathetic, but we are a part of this. So, so how, how did you articulate that to your daughters and how, how do you speak to somebody who's that far removed from, from our reality? Well, I think for all involved, whether it be my neighbors, who are predominantly white, um, my daughters, or anyone who I may encounter. I I literally have to strip back this immortal veil that they think we wear as athletes that has put us in a position of um, untouchable. Like we're we're, we're the, or exception. Like we are not the exception. Um, and I think when I tell my daughters, because they look at me, you're, anytime you're a parent and specifically fathers, um, when you're involved in your kid's life, they think that you can do any and everything. 
They think you're the strongest man in the world. They see you as literally their superhero, their Superman. And I just remember walking and I'm, I'm telling my daughters, I, I was trying to think like strategically, how do I say this? I mean, I paused a couple times and they're like, my wife and the girls are like, no, just say it, daddy. And I'm like, you know what? That That's it. We just have to say it. And I have to tell them like, look, I know you guys think daddy is great and daddy is all these various good things, but that's not how the world views daddy. It's specifically the world that doesn't look like us. White America doesn't view daddy like that. If you guys pay attention while we're walking down the street, how people look at me versus how they even look at you as black young ladies, it's different. I pose a, an extreme threat and and to be honest, Joy, like me saying that to them, watching them respond, they were look, they were shocked. They were like, really? And as I'm saying it, the more I'm saying it, the more I realize that I've never really said this out loud. And this hurts. Like, because I know me, like you know me. They know me, my my neighbors know me. And it's like, but still there's something about me that presents a threat to someone and they don't even, they, they haven't even considered really getting to know why they're even afraid. Like what, what, what is it about me that makes you so afraid or, or even, and I've had, I've had individuals say, well, it's not that we're afraid. Well, it's, it's your guard. You immediately become guarded. You like, literally it's like as a black man, as, as black individuals, as people of color, we answer the phone trying to, um, almost turn off or, uh, desensitize whoever it is, is on the other end, just to disarm them to where our voice inflection changes. So they don't think that they're talking to some uneducated, the perception that is out there of uneducated, uneducated black person. And it's like, you, you change your voice, you answer your door. Hi, how in your own home, these things are things that we do to appease, if you will, but not to conform. Uh, but it's like, we're always thinking about how can we present ourselves in a way, in a fashion to where we're disarming the narrative that precedes us, that goes before us. That is like, it's for me, I'm like, how did it even, how did, how did I get this thrown into that category? When in life you encounter anyone in life and they hate being pulled and thrown into a category with anyone that doesn't fit them. But yet you do that to me every single day. I drive down my own neighborhood, been living in the same neighborhood for almost seven years. And some neighbors will wave, some don't. If I'm walking, some neighbors will wave, some won't. And it's it's just hard to to explain that to your kids because all they see is the positive. They don't see the racism they don't see the the divide if you will of oh they think that we're different they don't even pay attention to all of that and so as a parent you just try to educate them by just literally telling them exactly how it is and that's that's just how you get it you you, you just tell them exactly how it is we actually um my neighbor <laughs> i was i have a black lives matter flag in my in my yard and i i purposely waited to take it out there when majority of my neighbors were outside to see if anyone would even be willing to address it and one of my neighbors did she walked right across the street and she started talking and she's expressing what she needs to do to unlearn some things and to listen. And so we're tomorrow having a neighborhood come together of, of conversation on so they can just listen. So they can just listen. And I think that's where it starts. And when people say that they want to listen and they, they, 
they lend an ear. You just have to be honest. Like you can't tiptoe. You just have to tell them exactly how it is. Not to scare anyone, not to make them feel like they're a part of the problem because they very well may not be. But you have to address it for what it is so we can all identify, okay, this is what it is, period. Like people are saying black lives, we're all having this, this, this issue, or I shouldn't say we're all, but those who aren't black have this issue with the fact that we say black lives matter. And the reality is, Joy, that why would someone have to even say black lives matter if they didn't feel that way? Like you wouldn't say something unless you felt that way about it. Like I, no one walks around saying white lives matter. Why? Because they know it. They don't feel like their lives don't matter. Right. But when you have, when you feel slighted, when you feel like you've been the one that has been on the short end of everything, or you haven't been given the same opportunities, you at some point have to speak up for yourself. And I think that's what needs to take place. And when you have the opportunity to speak up, speak truth and speak from the heart and speak honesty. Yeah, I think that that's great that you're doing that with your your neighbors. I think uh, obviously the the movement overall internationally and and you know the big crowds and everything is, is super important. But I also really believe it starts at the the grassroots level, if you will, just those hard conversations with people that are close to you and someone who has been in the news uh, a lot over this past week because maybe he didn't listen so much was Drew Brees. And uh, I mean, I don't know what your initial reaction to it was, but I really felt hurt. Um, and, and, and not everything that's being said right now, even if it's meant to be hurtful or not meant to be hurtful, um, does hurt me. But Drew Brees' comments really upset me because I hold Drew Brees in a, in a different uh, category. I respect him. And I think he's a, he's a legacy quarterback in this league. And I think he's done a lot for the community in New Orleans and a lot for the community throughout Corona. So it really, it really threw me off that he would say something so uh, past tone deaf. It really, it really just was like hurtful. Like it was so just a throwaway uh, comment. And, and what bothers me about it is so, so many people are reacting to it and saying like, you know, don't, don't crush Drew. And this is just, just my opinion on it. Aside from the fact that I felt like it was a, a, a careless and hurtful thing to say, what people don't understand is right now, if you're on the other side, if you're on the, you know, the first thing that you mentioned is looting and rioting side, if you're on the side of all lives matter, or you're pushing against everything that's happening, all you need is one little crumb from someone to, to validate your, you know, opinion about what's happening. And that is, that catches fire. And, and then you can't talk, it's just one more step away from, from where we're trying to get. And when you are in a position like Drew Brees, you have a responsibility not to feed that dragon, which is another reason why it was so hurtful to me. But he did apologize. I'll be honest, I'm not over it yet. I do think his teammates will forgive him and move forward. And I do think he is probably now having really tough conversations. But what was your reaction to all that? <laughs> so my reaction, initial reaction was, wow. Like uh, there was a level of callousness that I thought uh, Drew showcased um, and selfishness, and that and I know Drew. I have a relationship with Drew. It's not to a teammate level, but and I, and to your point, like when you have watched someone live a life and of action the way that Drew has philanthropically when it comes to supporting of Katrina and. Uh, COVID and just all the many various things that he's done has been so positive that that can't be thrown away. But in such a sensitive moment in time, it's I I, I liken it to when when we're all getting interviewed interviewed after the game and and you know we we come in to the locker room and the coach says, look, this is our message. Uh, we lost. Let's just take it. It is what it is. Give the other team credit. No matter and regardless the question, your response always goes back to, you know, they're they deserve to win, or they were the better team, or you just you just own it. Basically, you just give them praise. You acknowledge it. You don't try to make it about what you think it's about. This is not the time. 
You know that. And so with knowing that, how we are, have we, we've been trained to do this by PR teams, by teammates, by our peer, like, and for Drew to not do it, it just, in my opinion, that's the first thing that came to my mind is like, wow, that that's just callous. Like that's just dismissing what is really uh, hurting, what is really causing, what is really the deep issue here. It's just like, I, you know what? I don't really care at this moment. And that's just how it came off to me. Knowing Drew and knowing his action, I know it hurts to see people lashing out and the backlash that he's received. And I, I truly believe that he is apologetic. I do. But you have to understand, and you said it, in a moment like this, you have to be able to discern like what you say, how you say, why you say, and when you say. And right now, in this moment, every question, if you are against social injustice and police brutality and you are in support of the protesting and making things right in america that should have been your message because if we don't unify that message anything else that we say is going to be plastered the one thing that you say that is not in agreement with bettering the cause or making change or progressing what we're trying to get done it's going to be detracted and that's what's going to be put out there. He knows that better than anyone and that's what was so hurtful. And as far as the apology, I accept the apology. I think his teammates are gonna accept the apology. But when you have someone, like you said, like Drew Brees in that community who has done so much, the way I look at it also is you're, you're on the side that we wanna, not necessarily wanna be on, but we just want to get to that level of equality. So you understand you have an inside track of what we deal with by the relationships that you formed in the locker rooms, the conversations that I know you've had, you know, and you are, you're our closest ally. You're, you're literally the one individual that can connect and that can be a voice of influence to those who we are trying to influence, but they are not listening to us, but they will listen to you, Drew. So the moment you don't, you don't do it, it's like, really? You too? It, it was just very hurtful. So Roger Goodell put out a statement, uh, which, which felt like it was in re a reaction to uh, Saquon and a lot of other guys from around the NFL putting a video out, basically calling out the NFL. I thought that the statement that Roger Goodell made was was a good statement. Obviously, it could have been made sooner and without being prompted. But what was your reaction to Roger Goodell's statement? Um, I thought it was a good statement. I thought it was needed. Um, and as many as much as I can poke holes in it, I appreciate him and applaud him for making the statement. I do because he could have chosen not to. He could have chosen to be silent. He could have chosen to wait it out and see how everything pans out and then release a statement. Um, but the fact that he chose to just make a statement and say the things that he said and saying that he's against police brutality and in support of uh, advancing the causes of our black athletes and our players in the league and what they're, what they're, what they're standing for it was needed. It was needed on so many levels, specifically the level of you have, you have a lot of black coaches, you have a lot of black um, assistant coaches, you have a lot of black players, you, you have so many that you are representing that you can speak for. And if you choose not to say anything in this moment, you're basically saying everything we need to hear. And I think that the fact that he chose to stand up and to say something is is a sign that, you know what, he does at the very least care enough to give a statement. Now, as far as putting action behind that statement, that's to be seen. We have to see that happen. 
So some feel that a proper response to Goodell's <laughs> statement would be to bring Kaepernick back into the league. Uh, I, I think that generally sweeping statements about bringing Kaepernick back kind of remove the reality of what the league actually is and how it works. Do I think that Kaepernick should have gotten a job when he was a free agent? Yes. Do I think that he was blackballed? Yes. Do I think that he is good enough to be a backup quarterback in this league? Yes. I mean, we've seen the guys that they've dragged off the couch into the into the league, so it's it's impossible to argue against that. But do you think that that is the next step for what needs to happen in order for Goodell's statement to be validated? I think that that would be a huge step if 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 they were being strategic and they wanted to just let's for the sake of it let's save face. That would be their first move. That would be their first move to to make sure to ensure that Colin Kaepernick has a job moving forward in the National Football League on one of the 32 teams. Now, him playing would then be the next issue. Well, he should be playing and and, and I think you would have to address that as you as as the proper protocol moving forward, but if they were trying to be strategic and smart about it, I think that would be a smart move to show that you know what we did we did mishandle this situation and say that upon doing it don't just bring them back and expect everybody to be okay with that right bring him back and acknowledge the fact that what was done to colin kaepernick was wrong and own it like the the league and and this is what i don't understand like the league isn't going to be hurt by someone Stating the truth and just saying, you know what, we he and, and Roger Goodell specifically just owning it. You know yeah, what? I if anything, it, if anything, I think it will help because exactly, it, it's it, it, it's going to remove the the animosity that surrounds him not being in the league, and I don't think it puts any blame on anybody to do that. But I agree, like. I, I I don't understand this mentality, and it's like a societal issue that you just get dug in on your particular stance, and it's like and a badge you, of you, honor. You refuse to move to move off of that. Like that's not cute. Who told you that 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 was cute? It's not cute. It's it's unattractive. Like it's not a good quality to be rigid. That's not that's not fun. It's not going to make you grow. And I understand people don't really care about that, but. If you have any expectation of like the world not passing you by, how can that be how you handle things? Yeah, it, it can't be. And I think that that would show the ultimate sign of growth and support, not only not only for Colin Kaepernick, but for our black players moving forward that, you know what? Yeah, it might have been a PR move if they decide to bring Colin Kaepernick back. But when somebody stands up and takes responsibility for something that has been deemed wrong, then it's like, what can you, what can I say to that? If, if Roger Goodell says, you know what, this was wrong. And I know there's nothing we can do about what has happened, the time that has been lost. Uh, we can't give that back to Colin Kaepernick, but we can make it right moving from this date forward. What can we say? What can we say? Well, like, I mean, we there will have... still be people who are angry about oh, the time, and that's and that's fair, and that's that's completely warranted. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that you know, a, a, a team signing him, whether he starts or not, or any of that, like that, that should be up to the team and competition to you know, and and how he's going to play after these four years, we don't know. But I agree with you. the The statement of the the way he was handled was wrong, and and accepting you know whatever responsibility comes with that, because we all know it was wrong, right? Like it's it, it's it's not like a debate. Well, it is a debate to some people, but overall, <laughs> like especially with what's happening now, like you can't be out protesting in the street and then still argue that what Kaepernick did was was wrong. Like that's you're missing the point right. here if that's the case. So yeah, I think a statement and, and him getting on a team would be a massive massive step forward for for the league is in, in response to all this um finally before i let you go there was kind of a, a really massive 
step made in Minneapolis regarding the police department, the kind of shifting towards a, a new style of policing with a, like a safety, public safety initiative. Um, what, what do you think is the next step with all of this? Like, obviously the protesting is going to continue. The conversations are going to continue, but what, what would you change immediately? Like what's the next step that you would take? Um, to be honest, uh, I think there needs to be another entity, um, an outside entity that polices the police. Um, oh, that oversees that. I just said that yesterday. I mean, I've been saying that. We've all been saying that. But yes, like, yes. So it, it, it's, it's kind of like, let's let's go back to football. When, when we talk about the concussion protocol, players are going to, they're going to want to play. And team doctors are, let's just face it, their loyalty lies with the team. And so they're going to be more subject to allowing that player to convince them to get back on the field versus the health period of the player of the individual because there's no it, it, they have some skin in the game Let, let's just call a spade a spade they have some skin in the game and so by bringing in an outside source a neurologist that has no skin in the game all they solely care about is the well-being of an individual and whether they can pass that concussion protocol test or not, if they don't, they don't touch that field again. If they do, okay. That's what needs to happen when it comes to law enforcement. There needs to be some other entity that they have to then report to that, that sees and overlooks everything that they do, that assesses everything that they do, that checks every, every box that they check. A police report being reported by the police that's like that's like only listening to one side of the story from from two individuals that and you only take one person's take like okay so what did you say and you don't even consider the other person because they are not in a position of authority or influence they're deemed to be wrong so you're not going to really listen to them fairly and i think in order for that to be eliminated and completely dismissed if you bring in an outside outside entity that oversees what the law enforcement is doing and their procedures and protocols and their policies, I think this it would get remedied a lot quicker than what we we would even think that it should be. It, it's it's in my in my mind, and I believe in your. It's a no brainer. Yeah, I mean, I think that that I don't know how that's not already happened, but. Uh, it's the same argument that I make for whenever uh, the NFL makes decisions about suspensions. Like, in order to eliminate Roger Goodell getting blamed for everything, why wouldn't you have a committee of people, a committee that can be voted on by the you know NFL Players Association, can change a diverse committee of people, men, women from different places in the world, different occupations, can evaluate independently the situation and then make their mm -hmm. recommendation. Like, that, re that removes... A, a level of bias and and it, it makes the the public feel more comfortable with you know what's happening like why not make that committee be be committee members that you can vote on then make it a diverse committee that changes every two years so it's not somebody locked into this position that can be bought off or or any of those things and they can they don't make the, the end all be all decision they recommend it to the da and the da makes the decision from that point forward but there needs to be another layer of evaluation Cops are going to be much more inclined to stay calm in situations and not use excessive force if they know there's a very good chance this committee is going to see what I did and not only fire me so I lose my job, but then recommend that I be prosecuted for it. There's no fear exactly. of that right now, just none. I mean, the, the man who killed George Floyd had, what, 12 excessive force complaints against him how does how does that happen this was this was a this was a full steam ahead uh, train towards this this outcome and it was avoidable and i totally agree um so yeah, yeah so let's push that forward i'm clip this off and put that out because yeah, I, I totally agree well thanks for your time greg um i hope that you guys are are mentally and emotionally taking care of yourselves because this is you know it's it, it's a wave of uh, of emotion, everything that's happening on top of it being a, a very good thing and having good momentum. So uh, take care of yourself. It was good to talk to you and hopefully we'll see you back in studio soon.
Absolutely. Take care. You too, guys. With it. With it. Quit. What? With it. We about to turn up in this What's going on, Heller? What up and with it or quit it this week? Um, all right, real quick question before we get going. Um, am I invited to the barbecue? It's the cookout and <laughs> We'll see after you just presented it like that. <laughs> uh, that's good because my, my follow-up question was, can I invite Drew Brees? But anyway, uh, uh, no. one week ago today, Drew Brees woke up uh, a 2006 Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner and posted a black score on Instagram with the hashtag Blackout Tuesday. The next day, Drew was asked a softball question about the recent protests uh, around the nation and decided to play the American flag card. Whoops, not in 2020, Drew. Uh, Breeze has since apologized profusely and transitioned from initially being a beloved teammate to then being the face of racism in America before finally assuming his full butterfly as an understanding ally of the movement. Joy, Drew Breeze's apology didn't fix it. Would it or quit it? Um, would it? I, I reserve the right to still be upset at Drew Breeze. I don't know Drew Breeze personally. I put him on a pedestal based off of everything that I had seen from him publicly, the, the public right. service that he has shown, him and his family have shown to the city of New Orleans, a place I love very much. Yeah, not an awful guy. Um, right, and I mean, that's, that's my mistake to put someone I don't know on that pedestal, but what he said upset me. It really hurt me. And you know, if you're someone who doesn't understand why someone would be hurt by what Drew Brees said, it, it, it's time to stop talking and time to start listening. You don't get to tell people how they feel about anything, okay, ever. And I don't know who told you that you can do that, but it's not, it's not your decision to do that. You don't get to make those decisions for people. I was hurt and I'm not the only person that was hurt. Malcolm Jenkins was crying on screen about what Jubilee said. Now he has since apologized, a lot of people have come out and said that they accept his apology, they know him, or they just feel like, you know, he spoke what he thought in that moment and now he's had right. harder conversations and, yeah. you know, now it's up to him to put it into action. I, I, I agree with all of that. I just still feel like I'm upset because guess what? In my mentions, I'm still having to argue with people about why Drew Brees isn't entitled to his opinion and why, you right. know, Drew Brees is having to defend himself and, why I can't just listen to what Drew Brees was talking about. And that is my problem with it. Aside from the fact that it was hurtful that after four years of very open conversation that right. many people have been having about Kaepernick's protest, the meaning of it, and by the way, police brutality that we've seen many times, many videos. This is, this is not, it's not the, the first video that we've seen of someone, not. Uh, of a black man being, being murdered by the police officers. So for multiple reasons, this has, this has all come to a pinnacle and now it has exploded across the entire world. All things Drew Brees was aware of. So to, to speak so callously yeah. in that moment is, Drew, is on Drew Brees. Somebody who is a quarterback who knows what he says can get clipped off and sent out and completely change the narrative of a situation. He's fully aware of that. So I felt like he spoke his heart in that moment and like can, has his heart right. changed? from the past four years within the last two weeks maybe i don't know who knows we'll see if if, if he puts his his Keep. efforts into action he did go back at donald trump but the fact that donald trump is is putting your name in things is is, is right. in the first place my issue because this is why i'm very angry right now i am not at the place of love and uh peace and understanding and i don't have a lot of patience to sit around and explain to people you know, why I don't yeah. want to talk about George Floyd's past or why I don't want to talk about Drew Brees' apology or why I don't want to talk about the looting and the rioting. I don't have the patience for it anymore. Yeah. I'm just going to call you a clown and keep pushing on with my day. You've right. chosen your side of history. Stay there if you like or join the rest of us. But you're not going to do that at the expense of my time and energy. That's, that's my anger that I have. And the reason that I was so after the initial hurt, angry with Drew Brees, is because if you give one tiny little crumb to the other side, and don't get it twisted, there's another side. There is a whole other right. side. Just because yep. you see thousands of people in the street, just because you see 
people who have never talked about race publicly in their life, posting things on social media and showing empathy. That doesn't mean that there's not still an entire massive group of people that not only disagree with everything that's happening right now, silent. they're either silent or they're comfortable with black people being killed. They're comfortable with the status quo of everything that's going on with systemic racism. So if you give that group one tiny little drop, it's going to turn into a, a tsunami of bullshit. And, and, and Drew Brees, yeah. his words have power. His words have the ability to make that tsunami happen. All you have to do is say one thing that goes against even a tiny little bit everything that we're trying to push forward and then that little tiny piece of dirt becomes a mountain of i told you so and that is what pisses me off yeah i think uh true breeze is not the worst guy in the world no um and i think i would totally agree with everything he was saying about the flag if the flag was a human being but the flag is a piece of cloth and human beings are so much more than that so i it, the, the, thing, the thing that became clear to me when Drew Brees was the one that we were all um, destroying, and rightfully so because of the timing of what he said, more so than, you know, who he is, right? Uh, the one thing that I, I, I realized was, man, it's a bad time to have an agenda right now. If you have an agenda that doesn't fall, it doesn't have to fall in line, but worldview-wise, if your agenda doesn't line up with just full equality, and where and where everything's going right now like if you want that agenda to be exposed and yourself to be exposed keep talking but if you want to you know hold some things near and dear um you know shut the f up just well also it's just not and i know this is a very difficult concept because we live in a world where everyone feels like their opinion is important and needs to be heard and needs to be shared and needs to be recognized and needs to be seen and the reality is it doesn't. Your opinion on everything does not matter. My opinion on everything doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. My opinion about what it feels like to get kicked in the balls does not matter. Do you know why it doesn't matter? Because I don't have balls. Yeah, I will I never get kicked in them. I will never I know what keep, that feeling is. I definitely keep uh, like uh, pregnancy-related opinions to myself. Do you know what men can have opinions about pregnancy, gynecologists. And you know what male gynecologists do when they have opinions about pregnancy? They speak from a medical space and their opinions about it are not what they give. They yeah. give recommendations based off of medicine. You're not a gynecologist, so shh, just stop talking, okay? Yeah. And, and, and like these are broader spectrum points, but what I'm, what I'm trying to, 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 to say is that don't let the fact that your Instagram allows you to leave comments confuse you into thinking that your opinion about everything has value and merit. It doesn't. There's just some times in life where it's not about you. Right. And that's okay. But right now, it just might not be about you. Just for a little okay. while, it's not gonna be about you. And you're gonna survive, you're gonna live on, you're gonna be okay. And maybe the world around you will also be okay too. And, and you should probably be okay with that. Stop being yep. so selfish that you can't allow you Just refuse to allow it. the conversation to be about anyone else except for you and what you have to say. You don't get to have an opinion about everything. I don't have an opinion about everything. It's not me saying you, you, you. I don't have an opinion about everything. I don't have an opinion about something that I'm completely ignorant to. Proverbial you, yep. You know why? Because I have self-awareness. Try it. It's a good um, look. Yeah. It's a fabulous look. It, it's, it's a great look. And let's just say words matter now more than ever so just just choose choose yours wisely and don't don't run in don't run in being an expert on something you're not huh you're not an expert yeah what else is going on? um all right uh on last week's show um i asked you sort of and the group if things felt different this time with with what felt to me like a real resounding cry for justice for george floyd uh and you said that you were seeing more outreach and more support but it, it wasn't enough yet uh, with sports coming back, uh, things will be different. So, Joy, sports leagues need to come correct moving forward, with it or quit it. With it. And I do think that they will. I think that there, there is... We've reached a point where things are... Everything is public, right? So, right. if you don't say something, it's public. If you do say something, it's public. What you say in any direction is public. So I think that leagues, 
have a responsibility because they do represent their communities. And, and yeah. that's a big part of what each of these teams, their identity, how they make money, how they sell sponsorships, selling season tickets. Like you are selling to the community. You represent the community. You are a, a part of the fabric of whatever community you're in. So in yeah. service to that community, you need to serve everyone in that community. And, and not just that, the players, the coaches, the staff, your employees, it's it's mandatory that leagues stop putting out just simple public statements and actually have a full show of support of yeah. what needs to happen. And and this is this is the important thing that everyone needs to understand. And I do think that leagues are having more open, frank conversations about how to move forward and what they can do to help. Yeah. But for everyone who's growing impatient, not that I care that you're impatient, mm -hmm. but. If we don't make changes, we're gonna to continue to have this conversation for decades and generations to come. And right. I would like this to end with our generation. In order to do right. that, we have to have an open conversation about what the problems are and how to fix them. That just has to happen. And yeah. I, I think that sports can play an incredibly crucial role in pushing those changes forward and making those changes and being sincere about them and in order to be sincere about wanting to change you have to understand what needs change to begin with and there are plenty of very qualified people with great voices and great platforms to help explain and help give suggestions on how to make that happen within your building right. so i think that the fact that the nfl has come out roger goodell has come out and say he's going to start listening to the players and he was wrong not to listen to the players which like who knows if he consulted the owners about whether to do that or not like the reality is whether the owners are cool with it or not like this is happening y'all it's all happening yep. so get with it or get lost it's they're come on board we've got plenty of room if you don't want to the world will i promise you pass you by. It's just like I said last week, think of time as this just flat line going on into forever. Right. Throughout history, there are places, boom, 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 where we pay closer attention and we look right. back and there's like, okay, there's this time and then boom, this happened. We paid close attention to what people did, what kind of choices they made, how they treated people during this time. And I don't yep. need to bring up what those times were because we all know, and this is one of those times you have to pick a side. Uh, again, lots of stuff in life has a gray area. This is not one of them. You're on this side or you're not. And, and even if you are on this side, it's important that you recognize that you don't need to have an opinion about why you need to be on this side. Like you can just listen and just help. And that uh, yeah, is okay, that's needed, it's important. And it's all just, it's all going to be okay that your little world has been disrupted. You, the world will be better, you far beyond your wildest dreams, Right. when everyone can have an equal existence. It's not, it's not when I was listening earlier, it sounded like, um, you know, I started, you started talking about teams and how they're really kind of pillars of their communities. And really there's a, a give and take relationship with, a, with a team in a city, right? Like they're, they're bringing so much, but they're also, you know, taking a lot of money from people and really, uh, you know, uh, important economically in that sense. But, you know, when, for the, for, for my teams in the Bay area, I'm not worried about the Warriors handling stuff, right? We got Steve Kerr, we got Steph Curry, uh, Bob Myers. Management has always reflected what the players are saying. With the Niners, it gets a little dicey, but this is something that's been on my radar for longer since, you know, since Kaepernick and and also since with with Oscar Grant getting shot at Bart on, on New Year's in like 08, 09. So, um, but it sounds to me like what you're saying is, is that that not all that not every team is going to come correct and not every team is going to know how to navigate uh each situation and it's incumbent upon the leagues to sort of oversee it and mandate something and make something that, that that's universal across all the teams and presents a united front that we're all on the right side of history is that right yeah and there's going to be conversations that are had in locker rooms and between between players and between staff and and those are the, all those organic conversations are important and and will happen anyway but the leagues have a responsibility the teams each have a responsibility to to go out into the community and and make it better and and do what they can and they have extreme power and influence 
And that is a big responsibility. And I think that the owners, especially in all these leagues, hear what's what people are saying and and, yeah. and and they know that the world is watching right now. So I'm I am I am cautiously optimistic that they will do what, what's necessary. That's good to hear. Me too. Um what what should I bring to the cookout? Nothing with raisins. <laughs> I like raisins, but I, I could... All right, Donnie, what's going on? What's on Hikey Loki this week? Everybody loves a good labor dispute. Yay, labor disputes. Yay. High key, the owners and players of Major League Baseball are at a stalemate. Low key is looking more and more likely that we'll have a mini season or possibly no season at all. Yeah, this is looking really bad for Major League Baseball. I, I, I thought for sure they would figure this out. You know, arguing about money right now is not really a good look. I'm still completely on the player's side. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand what the what's the owners are talking about with this 48 game season like you, you can't go from a, a bajillion games down to 50 games like that that just doesn't work it's it's ridiculous yeah. so their latest proposal to players um offered a higher potential salary than than the last one but um less guaranteed money over a 76 game season the players obviously turned that down if they aren't able to come to a deal the league has the ability to implement a schedule of whatever length it wants. And obviously they, the owners want a shorter season so they can save the most amount of money, but still get a season in. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of different numbers, like the percentages that the players are going to get. They already agreed to a significantly lower salary anyway, because of everything that's happened with COVID. They just got to figure this out. And the other thing about baseball that's really problematic for them is they can't play baseball when it gets super cold. Like you can't be playing baseball in November, December. So you got to get this season started, bro. And you you, got to get a couple weeks of training camp back in, figure out where you're going to play it, all of the logistics. I thought for sure they would be back before NBA. And it's just, it's it's not looking good. And I, I don't know what will become of baseball if they are off for that long. I understand like hardcore baseball fans aren't going anywhere, but this is this is not good. You're going to yeah. lose a lot of fan equity being gone, especially because once sports actually come back, I mean, like we've been on the couch. We're going to be right thirsty. back on the couch, like yeah. immediately yeah. watching sports as much as possible. <laughs> so for them to miss out when NHL is coming back, NBA is coming back, we're certainly going to have football you got golf coming back, eventually tennis very soon. So, like, it's, yeah. this is just, it's not good. They got to figure it out. High key, Conor McGregor is calling it quits, announcing his retirement via Twitter. Low key, we've seen this not once, not twice, but three times. Is he for real this time? No, he's not for real. He's just trying to, you know, force Dana's hand to give him money and give him the fight he wants. He wants to fight Justin Gaethje which is understandable. And then he wants to fight with Habib, which I mean, at this point, I'm pretty sure Habib would just mop the floor with him. But he yeah. he tweeted, um, hey guys, I decided to retire from fighting. Thanks for all the amazing memories. What a ride it's been. Here's a picture of myself and my mother in Las Vegas after one of my world title wins. Pick the home of your dreams, Mags. I love you, whatever you desire, it's yours. Floyd Mayweather had a response to him and said, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you tell Mike Tyson you could beat me if we fought a second time? Now you're quitting. I thought you wanted to beat the best. Well, if you decide to come back, I'll be waiting to punish you again. It's very interesting because I, I really thought before all of this current stuff happened that they were for sure leading up to a Mayweather-McGregor rematch, which I will, of course, watch. And so will you. Yeah. Don't pretend yeah. like you won't. But yeah, this they're all getting a year older. McGregor's kind of becoming more of a spectacle than he is a fighter. I don't know how great of a fighter he is anymore. And I don't want to watch McGregor continue to lose. I just I don't think he's that guy anymore. I feel like the Mayweather situation kind of took him on this sideways path. He had a lot of time off. It, yeah. it, he just doesn't seem like the same guy. And to me, he doesn't have the same... That aura is gone. Yeah, like it, there's, there's a yeah. there's a little bit that's been taken off of his his whole legacy. I don't want him to force his way through. I don't think he's fully retired. I think he's going to come back and fight again. I just don't yeah. know if I believe it's going to be the same McGregor that we've that we know him to be. So that makes me nervous because he's he is probably the most polarizing 
biggest star of MMA. I mean, they have had a lot of stars. Oh, yeah. And Ronda Rousey is obviously up there as well. I think it's between between Ronda and him. But I think he's certainly more polarizing than Ronda Rousey was. So it'll be interesting to see how this all ends up wrapping up. But no, I do not believe he's done. <laughs> yeah, you can't take fighters' words when it comes to stuff like this. Like, it, it always rings hollow. Fighters are never fully done. Tyson might end up fighting Holyfield. So, like, you, yeah, you're never really done until you're done. Fighters done. and rappers are never actually retired. Yep, yep. Can't believe it until you see it. See it. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. High key. Thanks in part to Mickey Mouse. The NBA is back. Low-key, after four months off, who's got the advantage once play starts July 31st? I think the veteran teams have the decided advantage with everything that's going on. I am so excited that the NBA is back. It's it's like we found out it's back, and then it's like, oh, but for two more months, we got to wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are getting getting into training camp, so we're going to start getting, like, more content back, and now we can start getting into the prediction and lists and all those things, which is exciting. So I just think that the veteran teams, first of all, they've had – time off so any anyone who had any kind of lingering in- injury has been able to rest and yeah. rehab and i just think veterans have their routine in the off season that you know they're they're self-starters not that young guys aren't hard workers but they just haven't had as much time to really get into the groove and like routine and beats of like how to keep your body at a certain space now they're younger so you know they don't need all the recovery necessarily bounce back quicker right but i also think that with all of the changes and uh just the 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 abrupt situational change of playing in orlando not having any kind of home court advantage not having all the comforts that you normally have during the playoffs i think that will also benefit the veteran players because they've been to the playoffs before they've had that experience you're not going to get caught up in like oh you know the fans aren't here and uh, you know i need the hype and i you know they're just gonna be focused on playing basketball and mm-hmm. and, and not be as distracted so I, i'm gonna lean towards the veteran teams doing well in this new format situation that they're going to be in and i just yeah. cannot wait to to watch and i I, i'm wondering what we're going to take from it and implement it it into future seasons i i i I don't know how they're going to do without any without any noise like we're about to really get to know these guys (laughs) on an intimate (laughs) level like they're going to have to pump some kind of sound into the broadcast uh otherwise there's going to be some choice words thrown around Exactly. They're going to have to like have their fingers on the, the marks like super. Yeah, you got to be on it. You're going to have to be on it because the words are going to be flying. I mean, I'm here <laughs> for it, but it's not going to be it's not going to be family friendly. The FCC is not going to be here <laughs> for it. Uh, all right. High key. Kevin Durant has put to bed any rumors he'd make a return this season, officially saying my season is over. Low key. Clearly, this is the smartest move. Obviously. I mean, I, I, look, I think it's like 400 something days since he's played basketball what's the point what's the point if they if he had already come back and they had gotten into some kind of groove and then it had stopped then i would say okay like you know you need to finish the season you've already you've already started it but then that season as i've said many times this was the season was just kind of a wash for me you didn't have Kyrie, didn't have kate well you had Kyrie, but he didn't remain healthy you didn't have katie at all it just was always going to be one of those seasons where you can't really evaluate what the nets are going to be do i think the nets have a massive window to win a championship no but i do think the way that they played this year the the culture that they're establishing in brooklyn the players the the role players that they have on top of Mm -hmm. adding katie and a healthy Kyrie. They're going to be a problem next year, but that's next year. There's no point in putting KD at any sort of risk this year when he hasn't been with the team at all. It just doesn't make any sense. Wait until the season's over, and then let's just get ready for next year, which is going to be just fantastic. Right. Just patience. Patience is a virtue. Stick to the plan. Don't get excited. Don't ruin your appetite. Don't don't eat the cookies before dinner. Don't open them Christmas presents days before. Just wait it out. The wait is going to be worth it. Although my grandmother did always say to eat dessert first because you never know if you're going to make it through dinner. Oh, that okay. So I'm not going to go against grandmother's wisdom. So, yeah. I mean, but I still think it doesn't apply to Katie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't play till next season. Hi, T. What's going on on the culture report this week? 
Hey, Joy. Um, so George Floyd had three memorial services. Uh, the first one was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he was killed. Uh, the second one was in Rayford, North Carolina, where he was born. And then the third one uh, is in Houston, Texas, where he grew up and also where he would be laid to rest with his mother. And um, he was shown so much love over the world. Uh, Reverend Al Sharpton spoke. I mean, so many people had so many great things to say. His niece gave a powerful message. Um, his death has had such an impact on so many people because it's starting so many conversations on racism in this country. And of course, me, you know that we're not we're not new to this. We, we know that this existed. Uh, it's been around for centuries, but it's just being revealed through cell phones. I'm not sure if you got a chance to catch the a memorial, but uh, what did you think? Well, I was working until noon Pacific yesterday on the show, but I did go down to the rally downtown LA, which was a memorial rally and um, march for George Floyd. So, you know, there were a lot of passers, um, people praying, singing, giving speeches. Mm -hmm. And of course it was very peaceful. Um, nice. and it was, it was, it was nice. Like it was, it was very, I actually met with a mutual friend of ours, jazz. We love you jazz. Yes. And, um, it was very, it was very therapeutic to be around a bunch of other people who wanted to not only, you know, be a part of his memorial, but continue to keep the conversation going. So I, I, I'm, I'm uplifted by the showing of of masses and and concern yeah. and just the the diversity of the crowds that were that were there too was was very nice to see oh absolutely i love how we're all coming together and uh for this movement i feel like that's the way to implement change so i love it all right so um i'm not sure if you caught the town hall but so cnn and sesame street they hosted a town hall for families to talk about racism and i mean i love sesame street they they are known to cover this topic which i love um there was this there was a particular moment where elmo was speaking to his father and he was asking him about you know like what's a protest you know what is racism and his father just broke it down so well. He said, you know, protests is make others aware of a problem and you work together to make things better, for example. And then um, he said, you know, you start by learning, uh, you start by learning about racism, talking about what's happening and then taking action. And what hit hard for me, Joy, was when he said, not all streets are like Sesame Streets. And to me, it was like, okay, even if racism isn't happening in your city, in your community or what have you, does not mean that it's not happening which is why it's important to do research so you understand that this is something that that's happening in your country. Um, I thought it was age appropriate and culture responsive. Um, and it's a good conversation because it really does start at home and it helps you get to know people that don't look like you. Yeah, I think stuff like that is, is super important. I, I know that you and I obviously had conversations about race and police and you know, things of that nature growing up because yeah. when you're in the black community, you or a person of color, you don't have the privilege of not having those conversations. It's something that you yeah. have to have. And uh, when you start driving and all those things and, and a lot of people, white people specifically, who don't have these experiences, don't have these conversations with their kids because it's not something that you even think about being a problem, exactly. it's not a worry that you have. So I, I do think that it starts at the grassroots level. I think it starts with conversations within your home and with your friends and with your family and with your neighbors. And uh, I think it's great that they provided something that is, especially for kids, because kids don't understand yeah. what racism is at all because they don't, right. they're not old enough to get grasp the concepts of it. And um, so that's why racism is truly taught and when yep. you stop teaching kids to be racist, that will be the next step of, you know, moving forward in a future without these problems being uh, being an issue. Absolutely. I completely agree. And if you don't address it, things won't change. So you got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, what's, and also, too, speaking of addressing racism, I mean, I love how, you know, these big companies are standing in solidarity with the black community, like, you know, Nike and Ben and Jerry uh, title. I was listening to speeches from Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X on my title account, Apple Music and um, Amazon. And I saw that Jeff Bezos was uh, taking screenshots of, you know, customer complaints about him, you know, standing with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, which is 
crazy to me. Um, but I, like I said, I love how these companies are announced that they're against race, uh, systematic racism, violence, oppression, inequality. Um, again, I, I said it just a little bit ago, but you have to talk about it so people are aware so we can take action. And I think the more people that are acknowledging it that is happening, uh, the more people can start to, again, like, you know, make, make those changes. And, um, we had a town hall uh, too at Fox and we talked about like, you know, promoting people that don't look like you, maybe even offering to be mentorships with people that don't necessarily look like you. That's a great way in the workplace to come together as well. Yeah. And there's power in numbers, right? So these companies yeah. are seeing that, you know, if you're silent and you're being complicit with everything that's happening, people are going to pay attention and call you out and you are actually going to lose customers and you will in fact lose more customers than you will lose if you uh, if you say something like people need to speak up and again like you said nothing's going to change if you keep ignoring it that's what we've been doing as a country yeah. for hundreds mm -hmm. of years and here we are in 2020 the year <laughs> The year of 2020 is still talking about this, <laughs> right. still having to protest in the street. So yes, until we actually address it face on, have these conversations and make systemic change, nothing is going to change. Yeah, you have to. And I think even like, you know, well, to my next point, uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, he is pushing to pass the, the Amy Cooper bill, making it a hate crime to call 911 with a false accusation based off of race. And so, you know, just tying into us talking about these big organizations, that's why when when things like that happen, they have to address it. They've been firing a lot of people because they don't want that on them. You know, so, but back to Andrew Cuomo, I think it's so great that he's pushing for this. I do believe it came up before a couple years ago, but I'm happy to see them, them pushing this. And we all know why this is, you know, resurfacing uh, because of that viral video with Amy Cooper, the bird watching video. So I love the fact that Andrew Cuomo is pushing for this because it's not right. We like for her to call the police, it's like she knows what she's doing. To say there's an African American man and my life feels threatened, it's like you're using your privilege to 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 like to potentially get this man killed because we don't we don't know what could happen when these cops show up and see a black man a white woman and she fears she says she fears for her life it's it's a dangerous situation yeah and so. it's a gross misuse of a public service that is needed yeah. to actually protect and help people who are in fact in danger it it's yeah. illegal to follow to file a false police report so why wouldn't it be punishable to call 911 on someone for their their race like of course this should pass it should not be yeah. even an option for people to do that and unfortunately until you make these type of things punishable people feel yeah. like they have free reign and that woman that Karen felt like she could use the New York City Police Department as yeah. her personal bodyguards and whatever happens yeah. to him happens. She she made that call with the intention of harm being brought to him. And that was very obvious in everything that she was saying. So I think it's yeah. great that they're going to call it that or they could just call it the Karen Act and <laughs> uh, and just and make these things make these things have consequences so that people stop for sure. Stop doing them. So I'm, I'm here for it. A hundred percent. You gotta bring some change, and so I think this is this is this is, this is what action looks like. Yes, so, yes. Well, there's a time it. to talk and have the conversations, and then we have to put it into action, and yeah. that that is what what needs to happen next. So, thanks for joining us this week, guys. Hope you guys are taking care of yourself and being well. Make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Maybe I'm crazy podcast on YouTube. You can listen to the podcast on any of the major platforms: iHeartMedia app, SoundCloud, Spotify. Apple Podcasts and check us out on social media at Maybe I'm Crazy Pod or myself at Joy Taylor Talks. And we'll catch you next week. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Ooh.